Hey, book friends, this is Corey. Thanks for listening along as we have a book club of two over a cup of tea. Our goal is to explore beloved genres as well as push ourselves out of our comfort zone and explore genres we might typically overlook or avoid. In each episode, we discuss a randomly selected genre. We will be sharing our reading experience and a brief review of the books we recommended to each other from the previous episode. Also a heads up, so that we can have a rich and in-depth conversation, there may be spoilers about the books we are discussing. All right, let's get started. This is episode 12. In today's episode, we are talking about sci-fi. And part of this is because it is now October and we're trying to go with spooky weird stuff as our theme for the month. Before we start talking about books and tea, I'd like to ask for your support in growing our audience. We'd love to get more listeners, and to do that, we need reviews from people like you. We'd ask that all of our listeners go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a short review. If you've already left us a review, yay and thank you. Your mission now is to share our podcast with another book friend and encourage them to listen. All right, let's get started. Hey, Kiri, what's going on with you this week? So this week I've been sick, so I apologize for my frog voice. Um, It hit me on Monday, and it's been lingering since Monday with the worst part earlier this week. So I've just been, I haven't really worked much. I've been trying to do podcast stuff. Can't really read when you're sick. Have you ever noticed that? Like the amount of brain power that it takes to read is actually quite substantial. So I have not, I started reading a book and I got maybe five pages in and I was like, okay, I'm done for the day. So I'm slowly mending. So, and we haven't talked really. So what's going on with you this week? I'm just still doggy paddling through life with my with my life change of a new job and it's really fun and enjoyable but it is very busy and also very mentally consuming. So I definitely am right there with you. I'm as I'm like I need to do stuff for the podcast, but I need to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> the healthy balance of trying to figure out what yeah. you need to do mm-hmm. in order to to be sustainable Mm -hmm. and to be healthy Mm -hmm. versus what you actually have to do and trying to find that balance of what can you kind of let slide and Mm -hmm. then what can you not let slide. So, yeah. Yeah. My, my fun highlights though are non-book related. Uh, We have a big bluegrass festival here in the fall called Picket in the Pines. And uh, so I always, I volunteer at that and I do backstage hospitality, which is basically like being a glorified hostess or server uh, but I get to rub elbows with the musicians, and it's oh. super cool <laughs> and easy. So it's an easy way to get into the week long, weekend-long festival for free. Yeah. And then um, right after that, I went down and saw U2 in Phoenix, which was amazing. Yeah. But that made, again, for a really long day. I started that day at, like, 7 a.m., drove to Phoenix. We didn't get back to my friend's house till 1 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. And then I got up at 5.30 and drove back here for another full day from 8 to 8. Oh, my God. You I are thought crazy. I was going to die. Yeah. You got to <laughs> prioritize. I mean, I guess seeing Whoa. you two is like a big thing. But at the same time, I would be like a grumpy little old lady if I was in your position. Well, in my defense, when I purchased said tickets, I didn't have a new job. And so it didn't seem like it was going to be that big of a deal. And it's like this podcast. We both started this podcast with the idea of where we were going to stay in our jobs. And I left in the middle of the planning phases of our podcast. And you got a new job in the middle of our podcast. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So can you, since we're both 
I'm definitely under the weather and Corey might be getting under the weather. What tea have you picked out for us today, Corey? So I very thoughtfully uh, got traditional, it's uh, the company is Traditional Med- Medicinals and it's called Organic Echinacea Plus. Uh, with elderberry. And I'm just going to read the little sidebar because it's kind of interesting. I didn't know this. So it says, let the tip of your tongue tell all. One of echinacea's distinguishing characteristics is the presence of alkalomides, which are partially responsible for its capacity to stimulate the immune system. You'll know that you're discovering a truly high quality and effective echinacea when you feel a slight tingling on your tongue after drinking the tea. Very true. I do feel the tingling. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay, I didn't feel it. So Maybe my tongue is just ultra sensitive and it needs that immune boosting right. juju. Yeah, I've been... Have you ever gotten a medicine ball from Starbucks? No. It's one of like the secret drink orders. Oh. But it's supposed to be really good if you're feeling under the weather. I think it's, it's like their green tea, a peach tea, and then hot lemonade. Oh. So I've been drinking those like it's my job. <laughs> what is it called? Magical ball? M- medicine ball. Medicine ball. Maybe I'll go get one after we're done yeah. recording. Uh, yeah, I was kind of sad. I went in search of my favorite echinacea tea, which is by Yogi Teas. And it's uh, it's like a green tree. I forget the exact title of it, but it's like green tea with triple echinacea. Um, and I've been to both Whole Foods and Sprouts, and neither of them had it. So I'm huh. really frustrated. So this was my, my backup plan. It's okay. It's it, you know there's really not a whole lot of flavor to it for me. It just kind of tastes like a flavored water with a little bit of tanginess <laughs> from the elderberries. So I added honey in mine, so I think that's what I taste most of is okay. the honey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I'm sure it'll do the job as far as keeping getting you healthy again and hopefully keeping me healthy. Yes. As we're both hovering very closely to the microphone, I'm trying really hard not to breathe on Corey. I know. I'm kind of backing <laughs> away a little bit from the microphone this week. I'm like, oh, God, Curie's all germy. <laughs> You're probably over the germ part of whatever's going on with you, I though. think so. Usually it's like, what, the first 48 hours is when I you think shouldn't so. contact people or yeah. do anything. So, so. I mean, I, every day I'm walking around a, a germ fest. It's true. So. NAU is germy. <laughs> germy. Very germy. <laughs> All right. So um, our genre for this week is sci-fi. And since Kiri is feeling a little under the weather, you're going to get a lot of Corey talking today. (laughs) Sorry, people, but my frog voice is only going to last for so long. So I'm doing all the logistical stuff (laughs) and she's going to weigh in with the really important stuff of what she thought about our books this week. Okay, so science fiction is a genre of speculative fiction, typically dealing with imaginative concepts such as futuristic science and technology, space travel, time travel, faster-than-light travel, parallel universes, and extraterrestrial life. Science fiction often explores the potential consequences of scientific and other innovations and has been called a literature of ideas. It usually avoids the supernatural, which I think is kind of weird that they would say that because it is supernatural in my eyes, but I guess maybe that's something else. Um, Unlike the related genre of fantasy. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Wait for it. (laughs) I'm learning as we go too, readers. Carrie did the research this week. (laughs) Historically, science fiction stories were intended to have a grounding in science-based fact or theory at the time (laughs) the story was created. Uh, But this connection is now limited to hard science fiction, whatever that means. Uh, But elements that you can anticipate if you're reading a science fiction book include a time setting in the future or an alternative timeline or a historical past that contradicts known facts of history. Usually, uh, it's often a spatial setting in outer space or on other worlds. 
and characters that include aliens, mutants, androids, or humanoid robots, and or other types of characters arising from a future evolution, which apparently is not fantasy. (laughs) I'm still skeptical in case you can't tell. (laughs) And uses futuristic but plausible technology such as ray guns. Is that plausible? Sure, anything's possible right. in the world of sci-fi. I guess I'm I'm, I'm a skeptical <laughs> one today. Teleportor- teleportation machines and humanoid computers. It also um, applies scientific principles that are new or contradict acceptable physical laws. For example, time travel, wormholes, faster than light travel, or communication. It also uh, goes into new and different political or social systems. So utopian, dystopian, uh, post-apocalyptic some of my favorites and it can also have paranormal paranormal abilities such as mind control telepathy telekinesis etc which to me still goes into fantasy but <laughs> we're just gonna have to agree wikipedia to- <laughs> is what is to- is told me all of this information yes and i am just kind of going huh okay <laughs> maybe because they're similar Maybe so. I mean, well, and science fiction and fantasy are often grouped together in the bookstores. Yeah. I know we have – we've gone back and forth at Brightside Bookshop. When I first got there, fantasy and science fiction were grouped together, and then they pulled them apart, and now they're back together. So. Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to – I think they're they're the same – they're not the same genre, but they're similar in what they say and how they say it. So mm-hmm. I can understand the grouping of it together. Yeah. Well, and I would say, and we'll get into probably get into this a little bit more as we start talking. But I, w- when I look at this def this definition or description, I would have to say that I do I am drawn to sci fi, but ironically, it's typically not the type of books that we picked out. Mm-hmm. I think I'm more drawn to alternative histories or uh, post apocalyptic, dystopian, that type of stuff. Not so much on other planets, space travel type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually not really I, I. That's usually not what I get into. And kind of going back to my conversation earlier about oh, what was the book you had me read? Oh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. That got a little too fantastical for me. Right. It was too hard for me to relate to because everyone seems so different from humanoids, if you will. And um, that just doesn't work for me a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But as we will find out, there's some things with the books today that helped, I think, make them a little more relatable for me. Yes. All right, so our first book is going to be Dune by Frank Herbert, which was Carrie's pick. So I'm going to let her give a brief synopsis of what it's about, and then we'll discuss our impressions. So the book is set in the far future amidst a sprawling feudal interstellar empire where planetary dynasties are controlled by noble houses that owe an allegiance to the imperial house Carino. Dune tells the story of a young man named Paul, who is the apparent heir to Duke Leto. Um, and he and his family have control over the desert planet Arrakis. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and the only source of quote-unquote spice melange, the most important and valuable substance in the cosmos. And so the story explores the complex and multi-layered interactions of politics, religion, ecology, technology, and human emotion as the forces of the empire confront each other for the control of this planet. Yep. So it was... Um, 
I mean, I really liked this book once I got into it. It took you a while, it didn't it? It took me a long time. And I, my first random thought was, this is taking forever. Like, <laughs> the first 125 pages I think I really struggled with because mm-hmm. it was the backstory of the family and trying to get an understanding of it. But then it picked up once you said Game of Thrones themed in the desert basically I was like okay I'll give it another 50 pages and then by that time I was hooked and I was able to read a lot more of it um and you know I found my one of my other random thoughts was I really like Duke Leto and when oh spoilers spoilers when Duke Leto dies I was very heartbroken about it like the way it happened and you know the his mistress like kind of still being part of that black hole or evil entity of it. It was just very sad. I was very emotional when Duke Leto died. And I felt bad for Paul. Mm -hmm. Like, Paul was, to me, he was such a kid in a lot of ways. But then once the Duke died, I think it really gave him the opportunity to grow into this manly persona of who Mm -hmm. he actually is, which was, I think, kind of diminished when when his father was alive. Yeah. and, you know, as soon as that happened and as soon as Paul kind of started taking over things and the raid happened and they had to leave and get dumped out in the desert, I instantly knew that he was going to be a badass. Like, <laughs> there was no way of denying that Paul was going to be... Muad'Dib? Yeah. Did you... Were you suspecting that he was Muad'Dib before the no. whole... No. Oh, see, I was anticipating that for a while. You know, I kind of got hints of it, maybe, but I just didn't want to spend too much time thinking about it because mm-hmm. you know i i had a an idea that jessica was going to get pregnant again oh, I didn't, and how that confusing didn't that it would mm-hmm. be if it wasn't actually paul but it was the little mm-hmm. person that she was carrying oh, okay. okay you know like i just kind of felt like there was going to be a curveball of some sort so i wasn't really putting all of my money on paul to be the mod dib okay so for our listeners, you're like, what the heck is, or who the heck is Muad Dib? And we might be saying that wrong, but that's what we're going to roll with totally. today. Uh, so each chapter starts with a little epigraph that is meant to be from the diaries or letters or uh, p- published books of Princess Erulon, who you actually finally meet at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, she keeps talking about this person, Muad Dib. And as you read through it, you realize that this is a kind of a messiah for the mm-hmm. Freeman people. And so she's kind of, each section is giving a historical accounting of things that this person said or role that they had on Iraqin. Mm-hmm. Arrakis, excuse me, they call them Arrakins. And uh, so up until the point when they reveal it, you're like, who is this Muad Dip character and why do we care about him? And why do they keep introducing each chapter with some sayings from them? Mm-hmm. And then you get to a point and you're like, okay, because he's one of the main characters in the book. Got it. Well, so I guess I took those like little diary snippets of it coming from his sister. Mm-hmm. Like, so I thought that... Oh, you thought it was going to be his sister. And I yeah. thought so for a while as well. That was my suspicion. And mm-hmm. then, again, as we got to the end and we meet yeah. the actual princess, I yeah. was like, oh, okay. That yeah. makes more sense. Totally. And, it, you know, it was a, quite a long book. And I was thinking about, like, reading the other books I in know. the series. But they're all very long as well. And I just don't think I can handle it with the amount of reading that we have to do anyway. And then throwing Mm. in another 600 page science fiction book, I'm kind of like, 
I know. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's I think four or five of them. I think there's five. And yeah, they're all really long. Just for a note, for comparison. And again, and we've had busy lives, but I feel like I've been reading this book pretty diligently. And I started this at the beginning of August, mm-hmm. and we are now um, at the end of September. So it took me about six weeks of yeah. steady reading to read this book. Yeah, I'm so I'm glad we started it early. Mm-hmm. And but man, I. I it, it was dense. I mean, was. there was a lot of detail and it was super interesting once you got into it, but it, it's a commitment. It is a very big commitment. It's It might be a good winter read book if you're stuck in your house for a mm-hmm. long time. Definitely. Yeah. So. so I don't, you know, I liked the book. I think I gave it a three on Goodreads. It's oh, okay. not something I would read again, mm. but I would recommend it to people who do like sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Like I mm-hmm. recommended it to my partner because... I was like, you like this kind of stuff. And the Game of Thrones thing, I think, is a perfect way of describing this book. There's so many yes. plot plot changes. You don't know who's going to screw the other person. You don't know who's friends, who's foes. And it's just mm-hmm. a very interesting way of figuring out what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think I am. Um, yeah, and similarly, so my partner loaned me his copy of the book, and our reading tastes very rarely overlap. So that's that's something. So this oh, this could be a really good if you wanted to do like a couples book club. This could be a really good oh, one yeah, for that. Maybe. Yeah. Ah, there we go. Tip for y'all. So, uh, let me see here. My thoughts, and I, I did a little bit of poking around too. So uh, one thing you should know about the book is it was written in 1965, but to me it felt really timeless. I, I agree. I, You know, it, these are things, issues that could be happening now. But I think it was also, and this is where I think the Game of Thrones reference comes, is even though it is set on these imaginary planets, it's very much a medieval feudal system mm-hmm. with houses and nobles and you know, everyone, but instead of like owning a kingdom, they own planets. And instead of riding dragons, they ride worms. That, well, they don't. They're just the freemen. Right. But I mean, that is like a a good section of the book. Well, that's true. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So they have these really bizarre sandworm things, which uh, the freemen, which are the the natives of the desert, I guess is what I will Mm -hmm. call them. And they are kind of looked down on by the nobles. They're kind of wild and crazy and scary and rough and I don't know. What do you say? Yeah. And they ride worms. And they ride worms. Um, They also have – they're the source of the spice and all of that. Uh, so I, I also said for me, it was almost more like magical realism, but again, I think that was me projecting for what I wanted the book to be. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we've read the description, we know that Corey is just trying to make her own little descriptions up so that it's relatable for her. The other thing that I wanted to bring up, let me see here. I'm looking at my notes. Oh yeah. So Robert and I, my partner and I were having a conversation about the book and he asked me, he said, well, did you pick up on the fact that... Arrakis. So my partner um, asked me if I picked up on the idea that Arrakis is a variation on the word Iraq. And there's actually a whole uh, theory out there that this was meant to be an allegory about oil in Iraq. And because Iraq is a desert and you have all these countries. And so, so yeah, so you have this whole thing about how spice is the equivalent of oil. Mm. You have all these uh, countries or people from other planets coming in trying to take control. And then 
over the spice and you have these desert people mm-hmm. and the, and around the time this was written was around the time that oil was discovered in Iraq and and it was becoming oh. a world commodity and so I thought that was a really interesting analogy and I kept thinking about that through the whole time of reading it so I was I, I appreciated that he gave me that that perspective yeah I would have never thought about that the other thing that I started thinking about on my own <laughs> is, you know, so much of the book is set in the desert and it's this brutal, intense environment. And, you know, at first, Paul and Jessica, they are really fearful of it. And then there's this evolution of them becoming people of mm-hmm. the desert and understanding how to survive in it and the beauty of it. And it really made me think of Arizona, actually. Yeah. And I, because I think when I first moved here, if you had told me that I would find the desert beautiful mm-hmm. and that I would see all these unique and interesting and colorful things within the desert, I would have been like, huh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, there's this special unique beauty, but you also have to respect the desert and know mm-hmm. that it can, yeah, it can turn on you and be really dangerous. Yep. But if you're paying attention, there is so many interesting and neat things out there. And I felt like that was a lot of the story was them discovering what the desert really was instead of just being colonists on this planet um, and taking a resource. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think those are my basic thoughts. Cool. It was a pretty, pretty good book. I think long, rather long. I think it's our longest one to date, Mm -hmm. but it was, I think it was worth it in the end. And now we can say that we've read the classic Dune, Yeah, which I kind of feel like is one of those books that I feel a lot of book readers need to read. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So, so we both give it a thumbs up. Uh, It's a commitment, but do it. Do it. (laughs) Do it. All right. So now we are going to take a short break and you're going to hear about our sponsor for today. So today's sponsor is River Rock Audio. I have known Daniel Stearman for a long time. I think we met back in Louisville, Kentucky around 2001. He was part of my group of friends, and we ran around together getting um, into all sorts of hijinks with our crew. He is a musician and a man of many talents, and when he heard that I was starting up this podcast with Kiri, he reached out to me and offered up his sound editing services to help us get started. So he has his own recording and editing studio, and he can offer a variety of services, including stereo and multi-track audio recordings, studio and field recordings, broadcast-ready voiceovers and advertisements, demonstration CDs for songwriters and bands, and of course podcast editing and production. So if you're looking for any of these services, I highly recommend you check out Daniel's webpage and his business. You can find him at River Rock Audio, all one word, and we'll also include an, a link in our show notes. All right, so for book two, Corey ended up picking what I also have heard is supposedly a classic of The Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick. Yeah, so here's a quick synopsis. It's America in 1962. Slavery is legal once again. The few Jews who still survive hide under assumed names. And in San Francisco, the I Ching is as common as the Yellow Pages, all because some 20 years earlier, the United States lost a war and is now occupied jointly by Nazi Germany and Japan. Also, it's I Ching. Oh, I Ching. Thank you. I meant to ask, look that up. Yeah. So, (laughs) where do I start? Uh, 
Well, it was written in 1962, so I think it's interesting that we both picked books written in the 60s. 60s, But I think that's when sci-fi really took off. Yeah, I think so. so, But I think it's interesting that two of the biggest classics are from the early 60s. I thought it was really – it started off really slow for me. I think the big things – the barriers for me is there's a ton of detail, and I I found myself starting to skim, um, unless it was a super interesting interlude. But there was just a lot of, like – observational detail and thoughts in people's heads that I just didn't care about. Um, I also, let's see here. I found it way different from the TV show and I tried to not let that affect my perceptions Mm -hmm. of it, but I kept going, but they didn't do that in the TV show. And then I'm like, but the book was first, Corey, but that's not like the TV show. So that really, I think kind of messed me up for reading this. I, I wish I had read this before I'd seen the TV show. When did the TV show come out? Like two years ago. Okay, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Okay. I haven't, I did not have that issue, but I had okay. issues with other things besides that. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I think one, just a couple things that I will highlight about it. So one of the big themes, so as as the little intro I read alluded to, a lot of people use the I Ching. I Ching. I Ching. Mm-hmm. And they use it to basically forecast their future. Mm-hmm. Is that how you would describe it? You seem to know something about it. I don't know if you yeah. Wanna... So the point of I Ching is that you have, I believe it's, I haven't done it in a while, but it's like six. It might be more than six. I think it's six because I kept talking about a hexagram. Yeah. So it's six um, little jewels that you can pick and three of them are, oh. two of them are one color, two of them are the other color. And then there's two different colors, which kind of signify that those would be changing lines. So the when you do I Ching, it, whatever you get creates a six-line hexagram, mm-hmm. and then that will relate to something. So, for example, one is called the mountain, and then that kind of – you read what it says, and then you see if that applies to the question that you've asked. So it's kind of like a – not a tarot deck, but it's on the same lines of divinity type – Divinity. Yeah, yeah okay. um, mm-hmm. things to figure out, answer questions, or get guidance from a okay. higher power. Okay, mm-hmm. yep. So that is referenced throughout. Almost everyone uses this as a resource to ask questions about what they should do next, or if they're making a big life decision, they check in to see mm-hmm. what it, what they're told. And sometimes the I Ching comes back with, come again later. Like some, one of the oh, hexagrams like is a like, magic eight ball? this is not the right time to answer your question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I've gotten that a couple times. See, this is really helpful. If I had known more about this, I might have appreciated some of those interludes. But that's the stuff I started skipping because I'm like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Yeah, so that was a problem for me. Um, The other book that they keep referencing is called The Grasshopper Lies Heavy. And it is the book that's written by, wait for it, The Man in the High Castle. And uh, so this gets a little meta because basically The Man in High Castle is uh, the book The Grasper Lies Heavy is describing an alternate reality that would have happened if the Nazis and the Japanese hadn't won the war. But that reality is not exactly like the reality that we know. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but it kind of is. And it all hinges on FDR getting assassinated, which I thought was an interesting starting point for that but it's, as you can imagine, it's a very controversial book. It's banned in certain places, but everyone's reading it and it's referenced multiple times. And everyone's like, oh, I should be reading this. You have a copy of it. And and they kind of, that keeps happening. But I, I don't know. It was, um, 
it's it's an interesting read and I think probably my favorite my favorite character who I actually really didn't like was this guy named Roger Childen who is a um uh, essentially an antiques dealer if you will or a curator of special objects and his specialty is americana and so all and it's most of the book is set in san francisco and so they keep you have all these Japanese that want Americana, like cowboy stuff, like authentic artifacts from American history. And so that's what he deals in. But he has this, you know, you, this is one of those books written in the first point of view, and it keeps hopping from character to character. And so then when uh, you're hearing their thoughts, he is so conflicted because he's like, oh, the Japanese are so um, pure and simple and wise and we are such pigs and rough, you know, us white people suck. You know, he says it a little more eloquently, but that's essentially what he's saying. Mm -hmm. But then he's like, oh, they're so snotty and oh, I can't ever be as good as them. And oh, are they judging me? And he's so conflicted throughout the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, you're a mess. But anyways... So, yeah, I, honestly, I didn't have a whole lot to say about it. I think, you know, I found one really great quote that I wrote down. It says, you're like a little animal, not important, but smart. Oh. <laughs> I don't even know why I liked it. It was just a really funny, and it, and it was in a reference to a person, and someone was thinking about this, about someone else, and I thought, oh, that's really funny. Which made me, your quote just reminded me, I forgot to read my quote for Dune. Oh. Should I read that or should we just put it on the blog? Let's just put it on the blog. Okay. All right. So my experience with this book, my random thoughts is, wait, this is sci-fi? Alternate reality. Yeah. Which I get now. But right. I didn't when I was reading it. Yeah. Like, I was just like, oh, this is... Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second one is there are a bunch of freaking racists. Well, I think that's the point. Oh, I just couldn't take it. Like the racist slurs. I was just like, my boss, well, my old boss now told me to read this book and how the writing was beautiful. And I just was so flabbergasted at all the racist slurs that I just couldn't think any of this was beautiful. Yeah. I did not like this book at all. Well, but so put it into context, though. So it's the early 60s. So you have the civil rights yeah. um, fight going on. And, you know, Philip K. Dick, to an extreme, is trying to say this is the world that would have happened if the Nazis, who were racist, had taken over the world. I just can't. I just couldn't deal with it. Like, mm. I don't. But if I am singing a gangster rap song and the N-word gets played, I do not say the word. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to read words, racist slurs and books and things like that. I just have a really hard time with and I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy reading it. And it was, that really threw me off. Like I tried to get into the story and I just, I couldn't because of the, the racial slurs. Okay. I think I'm just one of those people that can't read books with racial slurs or okay. mean things mm, in it. Mm -hmm. My very Buddhist personality is like, why can't we just like love each other? Which I still say on a regular basis in today's time. So. Sure. I mean, yeah, I think I, for me, I hear what you're saying, but I think I also, I'm okay with it because I feel like if the author's trying to make a point about societal problems, pretending that these things don't happen or have not right. happened, or these are things that have not been said before, like there's no use in that. Right. And I think often the point is to make us feel uncomfortable or to make us think, wow, I don't believe in that. Um, and so... For me, even if I don't like it or agree with it, I'm always like, okay, well, but that's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah. But I, I hear what you're saying, that it can make it hard to read if it's a turn off and you can't get past that. 
that can make it challenging. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hmm. So I gave it a thumbs down. What do you give it? I gave it a meh. meh. Your middle thumb. Middle thumb. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I In all of full disclosure, I still have a little bit left of it to read. So I probably will try and power through it and finish it up. Again, I think... I really, I think watching it as a TV show really threw it off for me. I should have probably picked something else. I think as a standalone book, if I didn't have the context for the characters already, then I would have been, it, it would have gotten a little, it would have gone a lot differently for me. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, all right. Well, well. we'll see what next week brings. Yep. Which is going to be fun since it's October. We're kind of doing the theme of horror, scary, spooky, um, You just came in here to barf. Pretty much. So trying to stay with the spooky, scary theme and um, kind of just have that yummy Halloween feeling to it. So I'm kind of excited. (laughs) And what's funny is that we both picked books by the same author. Definitely not intentional, but I think it'll be a good discussion because I think the books are completely different from one another Mm -hmm. and we'll definitely give you more um, details about spooky scary type books or books similar to the ones that we've picked so that you don't feel like you're getting gypped by having two books by the same author I don't think so. I think we're we're going to call it an ode to Shirley Jackson. Yeah, I, and it and, was good. And she's been on my to be read list for a million years. So I'm actually super excited. And these are two so these are two classic books by her. Carrie picked The Haunting of Hill House, and I picked We Have Always Lived in the Castle. So we have a building theme going on mm-hmm. as well as an author theme. Mm-hmm. Do you want to d- read a little story about or read the little brief synopsis of yours? Sure. So this was first pub- first published in 1959. And this, The Haunting of Hill House has been hailed as a perfect work of unnerving terror. It is the story of four seekers who arrive at a notoriously notoriously unfriendly pile called Hill House. Dr. Montag, an occult scholar looking for solid evidence of a quote-unquote haunting. Theodora. 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 Theodora has lighthearted, his lighthearted assistant. Eleanor, a friendless, fragile young woman well acquainted with poltergeists, and Luke, the future heir of Hill House. At first, their stay seems destined to be merely a spooky encounter with inexplicable phenomena, but Hill House is gathering its powers, and soon it will choose one of them to make its own. Dum dum dum. <laughs> All right. Yep. Whereas mine, again, we have always lived in the castle. Maricat Blackwood lives on the family estate with her sister Constance and her uncle Julian. Not long ago, there were seven Blackwoods until a fatal dose of arsenic found its way into the sugar bowl one terrible night. Acquitted of the murders, Constance has returned home where Maricat protects her from curiosity and hostility of villagers. Their days pass in happy isolation until Cousin Charlie appears. Only Maricat can see the danger and she must act swiftly to keep Constance from his grasp. So luckily they seem to be completely different i think so yeah yeah it'll be good i think it'll be a good discussion of not only the author but the types of books that she writes yeah all right so i think that's it for today and join us next week as we discuss these book selections hey book friends we hope you enjoyed our conversation today thanks for listening along with us 
head over to our podcast site to share your recommendations and your opinions with us on the books we have read. That website is booksandteapodcast.com. It's also where you will find our podcast show notes with a full list of titles for the books, along with our favorite tea and what we mentioned today. If you are on any social media, feel free to stop by our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. You will find those links on our website. To be the first to hear about the next new podcast and what we are working on, make sure you are signed up to our newsletter. 